The January 6th hearings have gone totally off the rails, as expected. Now they even have Republicans like Cassidy Hutchinson making up these wild stories about President Trump. Cassidy Hutchinson, of course, the advisor to, to Trump t Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. I mean, this testimony, this bombshell testimony, which was completely debunked at this point. It was straight out of a movie script, and there's always going to be never-Trumpers like Cassidy Hutchinson who decide this is going to be their 15 minutes of fame, 15 minutes of glory. And notice this, the Republicans who are turning on Trump, because there are a bunch of swampy Republicans, a bunch of moderate Republicans and rhinos who are turning on Trump. But notice this, anyone who's turning on Trump, they already couldn't stand Trump. And like they were just waiting for an excuse to be able to jump ship. Because remember, he is still one of the most powerful men in the Republican Party. And that's really what these hearings are all about. So Cassidy Hutchinson, there's nobody who like was a real super true, you know, true Trump supporter, a real loyalist to Trump who said, you know what? Uh, I, I, Trump lunged at, at a Secret Service agent. Trump tried to grab the steering wheel and steer toward the Capitol, which is bogus, as we'll get to. So I no longer like, I used to think Trump was just amazing. All of his, all, all of his incredible... Uh, uh, policies and what he did for the country, but now I, I think that he's a disgrace. It, no, it, it's all people who did not like him to begin with. So she's coming up with these ridiculous stories, this Cassidy Hutchinson about Trump lunging at Secret Service agents, grabbing steering wheels, throwing his plate of food against the wall. And the problem is, number one, her testimony is all hearsay because she admits she never saw any of these things herself. And number two, it's basically, it's been debunked by anybody who was with Trump who's actually with him, which she was not. So we're going to dive into all of that coming up. This past Tuesday, primary day in New York State, the first primary, which was for like the state legislature and for the governor, then they're going to have a separate primary for Congress. But Ocasio-Cortez had a rough night. This past Tuesday, the New York State primary, Ocasio didn't perform very well. I don't mean her herself. I'm talking about all of the candidates that she endorsed was a bloodbath for the socialist candidates endorsed by Ocasio-Cortez. Unlike Trump, whose record continues to be stellar in these primaries, Ocasio didn't do very well. We're going to get to that coming up. Um, we ran out of time last episode. We did not get into some stories that I was promised you that I would get to, such as Russia be becoming wealthier by the minute as the U.S. economy tanks. So we're going to get to that coming up. President Biden, he was at some summit and he took so where was he in Asia? I don't care. He, I, I'm sure. Look, I don't know where he is, but I'm sure he also doesn't know where he is. But uh, Biden, for a change, he took some rare questions for report from from reporters. And Biden was asked, I'm going to play you a clip here. Biden was asked, how long, how much longer do Americans need to suffer with high gas prices? And Biden's response, pitiful response, as long as it takes to defeat Russia. How long do they have to wait? As long as it takes. Listen to this clip. How long is it fair to expect American drivers and drivers around the world to pay that premium for this war? As long as it takes. So Russia cannot, in fact, defeat Ukraine and move beyond Ukraine. As long as it takes. Number one, this man is so bad at, re at, at instilling confidence. Like even if, like if you were president, even if you were totally it was to totally helpless about the economy, like, you'd still come up with ways to at least spin it a little bit better. Like he's not even trying. I, I don't think he even understands how much people are really struggling. But, like, no, I'm sorry, Mr. President. Like, what if it takes—you know, it, it's so callous of him. 
But what if it takes three years? What if it, what, what, as long as it takes to defeat Russia, it's been months and months, and it's basically a stalemate over there in Ukraine, and it could, it could, this could go on for years. It has happened before. Nobody expected it to last this long. So, and it's not about Russia. Stop with, the, with that myth, that fake narrative of this is all about Russia, it's all Putin's fault. Even, I don't believe that the economy is because of Russia. Inflation was out of control before the invasion into Ukraine. But that's not even the point. Even if you want to tell me that it really is because of Ukraine, you've got to come up with alternatives. There's alternatives. You're the president of the United States. You mean to tell me that if Putin decides to destabilize a few countries in his region, that that's it? They're like, there's no other option. There's no other alternative. There's no, we just, that's it. We shrug our shoulders and say, all right, the economy in America is going to tank and gas prices are going to just keep going up and up forever. Like, that, that's not, you think Trump would do that? If Trump were in control, you think Trump would say, listen, there's no solution. That's it. Blame Putin and go home and we're just going to be struggling for the for the next five years. And how about drilling? OK, there's a very simple solution. It's called drilling for oil. St. Paul, Minnesota is expanding its universal basic income program. So UBI, we know that they're launching this in a bunch of liberal cities around the country. Universal basic income. St. Paul already has a UBI program, universal basic income, socialism. I mean, UBI, it's just... Um, slang, you know, for socialism or a euphemism for socialism. So now they're expanding it to 666 new families. They already had a program two years ago, lasted 18 months for 150 low-income families. By the way, what race do you think the families were who participated in this UBI program? But now St. Paul is, is going to have 666 families as part of this program. They're going to get $12,000 each in cash. Well, there's two sets. Without getting into the weeds here, but there's two sets of 333 families. One of them is going to get $12,000 in, in cash each, plus $1,000 college tuition per child. And another group of 333 families is just going to get the $1,000 college tuition. But either way, let's just go with the one group. You know, So it's 666 families, low-income families, guarantee of their minorities. But 333 of them are going to get $12,000 each in cash. And here's what I find like almost comical. Here's the kicker. Number one, obviously they're using this financial crisis and COVID and everything else as an excuse to implement socialism, right? That's what they do. They have a crisis. They get all giddy because there's a crisis. People are struggling. Oh, great. So we can implement socialist programs, which is our, that's our dream. Have multiple crises and solve the crises by making government bigger, by expanding government. It's what it's all about. But so November 2020 was when they launched the first program. And of course, that was right after, you know, the COVID lockdowns and uh, the economy was in terrible shape. It rebounded quickly, thanks to President Trump. Um, but now they're, they're, they're launching like an expanded version of that program and $12,000. But here's the thing. They have a control group. They're going to this is the mayor of St. Paul, Mayor Melvin Carter, who announced this program. They're going to be measuring. They want to gauge the success. Listen to this. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. They want to gauge the success of the socialist program, of the universal basic income program. How do you gauge the success? Well, they, they're going to measure it. They're going to take the 333 families that they're giving free money to, and then they're going to take random 333 families that they're not giving, also low income, that they're not giving money to, free money, and they're going to compare which one did better. How absurd is that? It's like they're going to look, all right, well, the families that we gave free money to, well, look, they're eating better and, you know, they're able to buy more things. They're more financially stable. They're paying their rent. They're not defaulting. They're paying their their, their, their bills. 
And then the other families that we didn't give free money to, they're not meeting their bills. They're not able to pay. They're not able to afford gas. They're not able to afford basic expenses. Of course, because one family you gave free money and the other fa families, set of families, you didn't give free money. Obviously, the families who you give the free money to, by the way, it may not even be true because the set you give the free money to, they may just use it all on cigarettes and alcohol and drugs. But let's even assume that they actually spend it on things they should be spending it on, right? Well, this group, look, there's so much more, you know, they have so much more financial stability and the group we didn't give the money to, they're struggling, right? They're, 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 they're going bankrupt. Of course, because you gave this, that's not how you measure the, it's like they're living in this bubble where, well, you just give out free money and let's see, did the free money work or not? Well, how do you decide? Well, did the people spend the free money? Here, let's give out, let's take a, a million people, we'll give them each a ton of free government money, and then we'll take another million people and not give them any money. Let's measure which group is more successful. Oh, look, the ones we gave the free money to. Yeah, because you can't just give out free money. The, the, my issue with socialism is not, well, people are going to waste the money. That may be, but my issue with socialism is much more basic. It's that you cannot just give out everybody free money. That's what led to this inflation mess that we're in right now is the government just printing trillions of dollars and just handing it out to everybody. So we're going to measure the success of this socialist program. If the people we give the free money to are doing better than the people we didn't give the free money to, then the program was a success. Well, no, because your city is going bankrupt. Like, hello. All right, a listener made the point. Good point. You know, um, President Biden, of course, fell off of the bike. And we discussed that last time. And I said I did not want to make fun of Biden. There's plenty to make fun of Biden about. And, and we do it. But we do it, you know, when it's more like he doesn't know what his name is. He doesn't know what, what time it is. He needs a checklist, a cheat sheet to know that he's supposed to sit at his own seat and say hello to the crowd. But, you know, he fell off a bike. I didn't want to, you know, make fun of it. But here's the point that the listener made, which is, that compare Biden, when Biden fell off the bike, the media just totally downplayed it. Ah, oh, you know, anybody could fall off a bike. It's no big deal. Let's not get all nervous that, you know, Biden is having cognitive issues. But compare that to Trump. Remember when Trump went down the middle ramp and he went down very slowly, he was like, you know, coming down from some kind of like outdoor threshold or something. Uh, he had given a speech, I think, and uh, he's walking down a metal ramp, remember, and he's walking very slowly down the metal ramp, and they had that on video, and like endlessly, I mean, that was wall-to-wall -wall coverage, you'd think it was like the biggest crisis in American history, Trump walking slowly down a ramp, and they're literally talking about, so compare the coverage of Biden falling off the bike to Trump walking down, which there was a perfectly legitimate explanation, by the way, for Trump slowly walking down the ramp, as he explained, but the, the media had a meltdown, and they're, they're literally invoking the 25th Amendment. I mean, the media is saying, listen, we've got to overthrow Trump. We, 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 we need to basically throw him out of office because he's clearly not capable of running the country because he walked slowly down a metal ramp. And as Trump explains, and then with Biden, I mean, this is just like one of just like so many different uh, issues where, where, where Biden has had, you know, clearly has had cognitive problems. I mean, uh, the, the, the man like, it's hard to watch. It's cringeworthy watching him in in action, the confusion and the way he like drifts off and you know uh, can't 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 get a sentence out straight. Clearly, you know. So the, the, they and meanwhile Biden fell off a bike. Oh, that's no big deal. Meanwhile, Trump, by the way, explained the reason he walked slowly down that ramp. He said it was raining. The ramp got wet. It was like pure steel. It was like this like literally this flat steel ramp. 
and he was wearing like loafers. He's he, he's wearing shoes that are extremely slippery, and so it's wet and it's wet metal. And he said, like he knows, he knows that if he walks normally down that ramp, he's gonna slip. He's likely to slip. Anybody would slip. It's very very hard to keep your footing, keep your traction. And he said, the minute he slips, he knows that's it. The, the media is, you know, g- gonna have a total meltdown. Oh, Trump fell. Trump slipped. 25th Amendment, but like literally Biden falls off the bike and like, the, you know, oh, what's the big deal? I mean, he, he's fallen down the stairs numerous times trying to board Air Force One. I mean, the man is like barely functional. You literally have Democrats who are praying that Biden does not run again in 2024. And but like the media acts as though Joe Biden is like Mr. Universe. All right. By the way, speaking of Biden and 2024, do you know that Biden right now, according to the bookies in Vegas, Biden is actually in third place. He's not in second place. He's in third place to win the 2024 election. This is according to the odds makers in Las Vegas. They do these odds for gambling purposes. And for an incumbent, it's it's, it's humiliating. For an incumbent president, even to be in second place is embarrassing. It's it's very rare. Usually the incumbent is, is the heavy favorite. But not only is Biden not in first place, he couldn't even cut second place. He's he's in third place behind Trump and DeSantis. So this is huge embarrassment for Biden. And by the way, think about this. It's even with the potential of election fraud. It, 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 it's it's whoever wins, right? I mean, the bookies in Vegas, like if um you know if Biden wins because of election fraud, right? If Biden wins because he cheats, he still won, right? You, you, that you win the bet if you bet on Biden, and Biden wins the way he won in 2020. Um, you know, with all the fraud, with all the cheating and everything else, you know, the 2000 mules, Biden still won and and you still win the bet. So like even despite all the different tools that Biden has at his disposal with the mail-in, universal mail-in ballots and everything else, they're still picking him as third place, not even second place behind Trump and DeSantis. All right. So as we said this past Tuesday, disaster for for Ocasio-Cortez. In the New York primaries, the candidates, socialist candidates endorsed by Ocasio just had a truly dreadful performance. Ocasio endorsed eight socialist candidates. This is for, I believe, mostly the New York State legislature. Of the eight socialist candidates that were endorsed by Ocasio, seven of them lost outright. One of them is too close to call. I, I, you know, I saw different reports on this. There might have been 10. There might have been 11. I'm not sure. But either way, seven between seven and eight of Ocasio's um, candidates and th- that she endorsed, socialist candidates endorsed by Ocasio, uh, at least seven lost, possibly eight. And so this was just a, a bloodbath, a huge embarrassment. And clearly the voters in New York State, Democrat voters, because it was a Democrat primary, um, clearly they rejected socialism big time. And contrast that with President Trump. President Trump, to this moment, has a 94% winning percentage. There have been 203 primaries thus far, I think mostly congressional congressional races around the country, the House and the Senate, and Trump's winning percentage out of those 203, the in candidates endorsed by Trump, 94%. Trump has a 94% winning percentage. Meanwhile, Ocasio lost like seven or eight out of eight or seven or eight out of 10. And by the way, that's only, you know, that's in New York State. So, you know, Ocasio, that's basically the most leftist, radical, woke socialist state in the country just behind California. All right, so let's get into this bogus January 6th committee. So they delivered, they claimed that this was like late-breaking new evidence. 
that 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 uh, emerged out of nowhere. So it came out of left field. So they held like a, a special session. When was it? This past Tuesday, and delivered like what they claimed was a bombshell. This Cassidy Hutchinson um, advisor to Mark Meadows, who was Trump's chief of staff on January sixth, and. This Hutchinson, she made all sorts of these wild accusations about Trump, claiming that he lunged at the. He basically he wanted to he wanted to go to the Capitol. Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. By the way, Cassidy Hutchinson says you know Trump wanted to go to the Capitol, and the Democrats are making it as though that was some kind of like big bombshell. Everyone knew Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. Trump admitted that he wanted to go to the. He wanted to lead you know his supporters in a peaceful march at the Capitol, and. Uh, again, his advisors did not allow him to do that, but um, it, that wasn't like something that Cassidy Hutchinson pulled out of a hat, that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. Everybody knew Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. He himself admitted it. By the way, Mark Meadows claimed that Trump never really wanted to go to the Capitol. It was like metaphoric, like he wished he could be at the Capitol, but he was not actually planning to go to the Capitol. But by, by the way, it's not a crime to want to go to the Capitol or for Trump to even be outside the Capitol. I understand the optics are not great, but it, it, Trump, I believe a president— actually entering the Capitol without being invited, that might be some sort of legal issue. But he just wanted to go to the Capitol. That's not a crime. And I don't even think he wanted to get inside. He just wanted to stay outside. But either way, so she claims that Trump basically told his Secret Service they're driving him, um, I guess, after the rally where he spoke on January 6th, they're driving him back to the White House, and he says, take me to the Capitol. And then supposedly he lunged at um, one Secret Service agent, tried to grab the steering wheel, and then... This, this, the other agent who wasn't driving actually tried to grab him, and then he lunged at his clavicle. I mean, she's just like, it's out of a movie. I mean, it's literally out of a movie um, that he's demanding to be taken to the Capitol, and he's, like, physically fighting. These Secret Service agents, they're pretty strong. But, like, Trump, somehow the President of the United States, is grabbing at the steering wheel and, like, assaulting Secret Service agents. And we're supposed to believe this. And, by the way, the Secret Service agents have said— that they would gladly testify under oath. They've already testified in front of the committee, but they'll gladly testify under oath, uh, contradict Cassidy Hutchinson's narrative, which she was not there. She's claiming that it's hearsay. She's saying that she was told this by Secret Service agents, but, like, she wasn't actually there. She also claimed that when Trump heard that A.G. Barr announced that there was not evidence of widespread um, election fraud— not enough evidence to overturn the election that Trump was so angry that he threw his plate of food against the wall and that she was she claimed she was cleaning ketchup off the wall. I mean, it's literally right out of a Hollywood script and uh, and it's just extremely hard to believe. Again, she she wasn't there uh, supposedly for the story where the plate hit the wall. I guess she saw supposedly the remnants of it. But um, number one, it's, again, it's not a crime. It's not a crime for Trump to get angry. And, you know, who can blame him? I mean, he believes that the election was stolen, and here you have his own attorney general. And look, Barr did a lot of very, very good things, as, as, as we've established here. But uh, obviously, it was a big letdown for Trump when Barr announced that, uh, sorry, I can't find evidence enough of widespread election fraud. There was evidence of fraud, but not enough fraud that, and, and people misquote this, but not enough fraud that would actually overturn the results of the election. Okay. Trump might have gotten angry. He might have thrown a plate against the wall. And who can blame him? And and it's not a crime. It's not a crime to throw a plate of food against the wall. I understand you should not do that. You should stay in control. I get it. But um, either way, it, it appears that Cassidy Hutchinson, that her testimony, her bombshell testimony was actually fabricated, just like virtually everything in these bogus January 6th hearings, the January 6th committee. They're just conjuring stuff up, crazy stuff about Trump. 
And that's what the Democrats have been doing since 2016, right? Conjuring up fake stories um, about uh, about President Trump. That's what they love to do. The media buys right into it, soaks it right up. You know, they run with it. The media, they, you could tell all these lies about Trump. They, they, the media will fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. And here is no exception. And it was hearsay to begin with. And she's caught telling these lies. And then, like, literally the people who that she's saying told her the stories actually say, oh, she's lying. She's making it up. And they were actually willing to testify. So on that note, listen to this exchange um, where CNN's Jake Tapper actually grills Democrat Jamie Raskin. Democrat Congressman Jamie Raskin is a member of the January 6th committee. And Jake Tapper essentially says to Jamie Raskin, like, do you have any corroborating evidence to these very, very, like, wild claims, these crazy claims? Is there any corroboration? And isn't it really just hearsay? And and by the way, listen to Jake Tapper. He also asks Raskin, he says, the, the two Secret Service agents, and I'll tell you their name here, Tony Amato and Robert Engel, two Secret Service agents, Tony uh, Ornato and Robert Engel, um, they both, uh, they, they were the ones who supposedly told Cassidy Hutchinson the story about Trump lunging and grabbing the steering wheel and all of that. Well, they testified um, before the January 6th committee. Did you ever ask them? Did you ask them to corroborate those stories? And of course, the answer is no. Listen to this clip. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president. Take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. Okay, so that is Cassidy Hutchinson relaying what the Secret Service agent in charge, I believe, his position, Mr. Renato, told her. Um, about, and so it's a story that only Angle and Renato, I think, were present for, theoretically. She was not. She did not see it happen. Do you have any corroborating evidence? You have interviewed both Renato, or the committee has interviewed both Angle and Renato, two Secret Service agents. Do you have any corroborating evidence that that story is true, or do you only have it from Cassidy Hutchinson? Well, um, the story that she told is the evidence that I'm aware of, at least within Her story our is possession. the only version you know. And I've not seen anything to contradict it. And then, of course, it's corroborated by everything else we know about Donald Trump's eagerness to uh, not just incite this march and assemble the march and form the march and exhort the people in the march, but also to participate in it. He wanted to go into it. And, you know, he's being told by the White House counsel, he's being told by others, don't do this. And uh, Ms. Hutchinson testified about how Mr. Cipollone was telling her, please don't let him go on that march. Right. You've assured me he's not going to go in go into it, because then he said, at that point, we're going to be guilty of, I think she said, tons of offenses or, you know, hundreds of crimes. Um, because at that point, he's not going to be able to assert any kind of ignorance of what was about to happen. Right. I get it. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I'm saying is your committee interviewed Tony Amato and, and Stephen Engel, who supposedly told her this story. Um, and I don't doubt her. I'm, I, I'm sure Amato told her the story. 
Um, but your committee interviewed them. Did you ask about this story? It is a shocking story. We, we, I mean, maybe you didn't know about it at the time. I don't know. I, I was not involved in either of those interviews. So I, I can't say, and I don't have any knowledge of that. Uh, I, I will just say um, I'm not aware of anything that contradicts the account that she just gave. Right, but you would agree that that story would be stronger if you had corroborating evidence from the individuals who were actually in the presidential limo. Sure, and we're encouraging every material witness who has relevant evidence to come forward but you've already to interviewed, tell us. But you've already interviewed these two. Well, um, you know, anybody is free to, to come back. And again, I've not been involved in um, the questioning of those particular witnesses. It is just an incredibly damning and dramatic story, uh, I would just as a journalist and as an American appreciate more corroboration for the story since as of now, it is hearsay. I mean, it is oh, sure. somebody were well, saying, this is what I heard. Yeah, and of So it's amazing. Notice what Raskin's doing there. Raskin keeps, he just keeps repeating the same bogus claim again and again. Well, you know, there's no contradiction. I love it when they say that. There's nothing to contradict it. Like Trump's in a, uh, he's in a limbo with two Secret Service agents. This and this Cassidy Hutchinson, she's the first person to tell us about Trump lunging at the steering wheel, lunging at the Secret Service agents. But like, no, nothing to contradict it. So we have one witness. This would never hold up in court because it's hearsay. And you actually interviewed the witnesses that she claims is the source of her story. And you never asked them about this. You never asked them, hey, can you confirm Cassidy Hutchinson's story? Because she's quoting you. She's literally quoting you. So how does that make it just doesn't make any sense, except for the fact that the Democrats are trying to set up Trump and the Democrats are using Cassidy Hutchinson as a pawn. She obviously doesn't like Trump and she obviously wants the fame and wants the glamour. She's like Liz Cheney. She wants she doesn't mind getting it from the, the leftist media. And uh, they, they, they're just they're just making it up. They're just making it up. That's why they have like a, a television producer who's actually producing these hearings because they're, they're trying to make it as melodrama as as possible, trying to turn it into like uh, literally a movie script. And here are some of the supposed bombshells from Cassidy Hutchinson that, that are really duds. They really are just worthless pieces of information. Um, Cassidy Hutchinson said that Trump knew that attendees of the rally actually were in possession of weapons, had weapons. So this is like one of the big bombshells from Cassidy Hutchinson she says that the, that President Trump was aware that people who attended the rally, who eventually breached the Capitol, and Trump tells them go into the Capitol peacefully um, or go to the Capitol peacefully, march on the Capitol. He didn't tell them to breach it. So um, Trump Trump knew they had weapons. Well, those weapons are not rifles. Those weapons were not guns. It was just like these random. They had flagpoles, shields. Pepper spray. I mean, you could see it on television that they had those things. So Cassidy Hutchinson is saying, "Oh, Trump knew they were armed. I mean, they were armed with flagpoles. They were armed with shields. Like they, they, you know, they weren't armed with guns." And number two, Cassidy Hutchinson said that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. As I said, even even the uh, L.A. Times admitted that Trump said himself that he wanted to lead protesters in a peaceful march to the Capitol, although Mark Meadows said that was just metaphorical. He didn't really want to go. He just wanted, he just, in theory, wanted to go. And th this idea that Trump threw his lunch at the wall after hearing uh, A.G. Barr uh, announce that there was no not enough evidence um, to support stolen election claims. So, again, it's hearsay. You know, she was not there. There's nobody else that claims that they saw Trump throwing his lunch. And as I said, by the way, like, it's not a crime. All right, New York City. Um, speaking of crime, you know, crime, violent crime, gun crime continues to surge in New York City. I think that 
shootings are are technically down, but over the course of the year, shootings in New York City are way, way up compared to this time last year. It's purely as a result of Eric Adams' woke leftist policies, not to mention no cash bail, not to mention, you know, DA Alvin Bragg and these these woke leftist DAs. But there was a horrific murder in the Upper East Side. I don't want to get into the details, but there was a horrific murder um, Wednesday night in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And here's what's so disingenuous. Eric Adams, every time there's there's a crime now committed in New York, Eric Adams blames guns. And he talks about how it's all about guns, guns, guns. Right. Uh, he doesn't want uh, New York City to become the Wild West because letting people carry a concealed weapon. Well, it's the opposite. New York City is the Wild West. And, and the reason is because the bad guys don't care about the gun laws. So here's the thing. Um, Eric Adams, he called it a national problem in response to this shooting, this horrific shooting. It just happened in the middle of the street. It wasn't it was the evening, but it wasn't it was dark, but it wasn't late at night. You know, it wasn't like the middle of the night. It was early in in the night. And um, and Adams called it a national problem, and he blamed guns. Actually, it's not a national problem. It's actually a New York problem, and it has nothing to do with guns. I mean, this man just ambushed. He knew the woman, and he ambushed her from behind. So, number one, I guarantee you that he did not, ha- he, he did not own the gun legally, and he had no right to be carrying the gun. And I'm sure that that's accurate. And even if he did, even if he had a right to own the gun— and carry the gun. He was doing that. New York City has the toughest gun laws in the country. So what exactly does Eric Adams want? Does he want to ban all guns? Because New York City has the toughest gun laws in the country, and this man was still carrying a gun. So like the Democrats, you know, by their own admission, these these gun laws in New York City are not working, and they're like the second toughest in the whole country. Plus, he could have used a knife. I mean, he assaulted her from behind. He could have used used a knife. So the real issue, but here's what Adams really wants to do is he wants to distract from the real issue, which is his woke leftist policies and New York's woke leftist policies. If he, if he, if, if he admits that, see, he's calling it a national crime, a national issue, because then it's about the guns, then it's about the Republicans in Congress, and then Adams doesn't need to do anything about it to take ownership over it. But it's clearly his responsibility. Meanwhile, Fox News just put out a story. There are six cities in the United States right now that are on pace to have more violent crime this year, 2022, than they had in 2021. There are six cities, repeat this, six cities um, in the United States on pace right now to have more, have an increase in in violent crime this year, 22, versus a year ago, 2021. Those six cities, New York City, L.A., Baltimore, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., what do they all have in common? Yes, you guessed it. They're all Democrat-controlled cities. Republican-controlled cities do not have an increase in violent crime, only Democrat-controlled cities. Um, okay, uh, I- I- Iran launched a rocket one day after announcing that they were re- resuming nuclear talks. Iran decided to launch a rocket. Iran, they're just toying with Biden so badly. I mean, they're just making such fun of him and just making a total mockery. It's it's disgraceful you know that 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 Biden is allowing himself to be such a punching bag for Iran. That's that's what it is. They're literally treating him like a punching bag. I mean, they they, they hold talks. They don't hold talks. The eleventh round, the twelfth round of, nu- uh, of nuclear talks and negotiations. We want to take all these terrorists off the terror list. Okay, maybe let's think about it. No, okay, forget it. We're calling off the talks. Then we're going back. Oh, we're enriching uranium. I mean, the Iranians. They're just they are having a field day. They're doing whatever they want. The only hope is. The Israelis, and there's turmoil in Israel now, but the Israelis sabotaging the Iranian nuclear program because the Iranians, by all accounts, they're already at 60 percent 
purity. Uranium is enriched 60%, which is extremely close. That's like as close as they need to be, where it's literally just a few weeks from developing a nuclear nuclear bomb, and they have the missiles, uh, nuclear-capable missiles, to to slap on the, the bomb to. So it's terrifying. It's literally terrifying. And the Iranians are just laughing at Biden because let's have talks, let's not have talks. And meanwhile, they're literally breaking all the rules of the deal. There's still a deal intact with, with Europe, with other countries, and, and the Iranians are completely breaking the deal, and there's no consequences because, well, we're holding talks. Why Biden is doing it, why the Biden administration is doing it, I have no idea. They're literally just tacitly just allowing Iran to get as close as humanly possible to developing a nuclear weapon. What's in it for Biden? I mean, I, I guess he thinks eventually, or whoever's running the show because it's not Biden, but I guess they think, all right, sooner or later we're, we're, we're going to have some kind of deal and we're going to get, you know, we're going to get, the media attention, and it's going to be a big celebration. We're going to be high-fiving each other because we got, you know, we got a nuclear deal signed with Iran. And meanwhile, the Iranians at that point, they, they already, like, have have a nuke. So, like, what, like what, what's the deal? And, and the Iranians are going to have so much leverage at that point. They're going to be able, and that's what's going to happen, is the Iranians are going to be so close to a deal, Biden people are going to get up and say, listen, um, we have no choice. We have to make all these concessions. We have to take off the label, terrorist label from the IRGC, and there's so many concessions that we're going to have to make, but we don't have a choice because the Iranians are like basically on the on the brink of a nuke. So what can we do? And that's going to be this game, I'm guessing. Meanwhile, and now the, the, the there were talks in where? In Qatar, where the Iranians and the Europeans were holding talks in Qatar, and those failed. Literally, you can't make this stuff up. The, 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 the negotiations being held in Qatar, that was, the U.S. wasn't directly involved because it was Iran- with the EU, and then they were like indirectly sending messages to the to, to the Biden people, but um, those talks failed. They they came out of those talks that we didn't make any progress again. It's like the twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth round, and uh, then Iran announces, all right, well we're ready to talk to Biden now. We'll negotiate with Biden. Like one day later, like hello, the talks just failed. Like what 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 is going to go what's going to go different now? And and it's just it's just a game. It's just a show. It's a sham where the Iranians just keep you know, dangling the carrot so that they can keep enriching uranium and nobody's saying a word about it. All right, Joe Biden left Hunter, the, the bombshell this past week, where a voicemail surfaced, a recording of a voicemail that Joe Biden left Hunter Biden. And uh, a player of this voicemail, it basically, it, it, it exposes Biden as a liar because Biden, multiple times on the campaign trail, he said, I never discussed Hunter Biden's business dealings with him. I never discussed, but he was asked about, Hunter and his shady and corrupt business deals with China, with Russian companies, with with Ukraine, Burisma, and uh, Biden said, I never discussed it, never discussed it. Well, he actually left Hunter a voicemail uh, about Hunter's business dealings all the way back in 2018. Listen to this voicemail. Hey, pal, it's Dad. It's 8.15 on uh, Wednesday night. If you get a chance, give me a call. Nothing urgent. Just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least the thing on online, that's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think it's clear. And uh, anyway, um, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. So it's pretty amazing. Joe Biden says, uh, "Give me a call. Nothing urgent. I wanted to talk with you." He says, "I thought the article released online is going to be printed tomorrow in the Times was good. I think you're clear. And anyway, if you get a chance, give me a call." So Biden, Joe Biden, telling his son Hunter that he's clear and he's telling he's talking about he's referencing an article in The Times. An article in The Times was specifically about Hunter's business dealings with CEFC, the corrupt Chinese firm CEFC. Um, 
and, and Biden's talking about it. So Biden, all those times he said, oh, I never discussed business dealings with Hunter. We have the voicemail now. We have the smoking gun. We knew Joe Biden was a liar. This proves it once again. He's lied many, many times in the past. I mean, he lied about like what grade he got in law school or which law school he graduated from or something back in the 80s. But um, he's plagiarized many times. But the New York Times article is referencing Hunter's business partnership, CEFC. By the way, both men who, were ran, who ran CEFC were very corrupt in China. One of them is in jail. The other one disappeared. And um, the one who is in jail, he actually, after his arrest in 2017, the first call he made was to James Biden, which is Hunter's uncle, Joe Biden's brother. And James said he thought that the call was actually intended for Hunter. So, I mean, they are just so, so incredibly corrupt. All right, finally, Russia. Russia is actually, Russia's economy is the strongest that it has been in years. And it's like, you know, you hear this stuff. It's like, you know, fiction, fact is stranger than fiction, where Russia invades Ukraine. That was supposed to be bad for Russia. Everybody's making fun of Putin of how crazy he is. Why is he invading Ukraine? And um, it turns out that Putin is benefiting big time. Maybe this was his plan all along, but Putin's benefiting big time from the sanctions. And the United States is getting crushed by the sanctions, and Russia's getting rich off the sanctions. So Russia invades Ukraine, Biden sanctions Russia, and then Russia's stronger than ever, and the United States is weaker than ever. We're the losers. What exactly? How does that make any sense? So here's the story. The ruble is the strongest that it's been in seven years as a direct result of the Biden sanctions. Um, Russia's thriving. So... You know, it's like Putin outsmarted everybody here. This is according to CNBC. The ruble is so strong that Russia's central bank is trying to artificially weaken it because they don't want Russia to lose out when, you're, when your um, currency is very strong. You end up losing out on exports in that direction. But, you know, so there are ways. But, like, that's a good kind of problem to have where your currency is so strong you need to artificially um, devalue it. But what's behind the strength of the ruble, according to CNBC, is Russia's ranking in billions and billions of dollars in record oil and gas revenue. And the reason is simply because energy prices are so high because of the sanctions. Russia right now is the world's largest exporter of natural gas, second largest exporter of oil. And Russia's primary customer, ironically, is the EU. The EU has been buying billions of dollars worth of Russian energy every week. As they're punishing Russia with sanctions, they're sitting there buying their energy, making Putin rich. This is like sickening. Um, so Russia has surpassed the Saudis to become China's largest supplier of oil. And you, you'll ask, well, if there are sanctions, then how is the EU able to buy Russian oil? And the answer is because they specifically, the EU is desperately reliant. See, this is what Putin knew. Putin knew this the whole time. This is why he has so much leverage. And this is why you need somebody, if Trump was running the show, you'd think Trump would be letting Russia get rich off of the sanctions and the United States economy is 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 crumbling apart, is is plunging out of control, spiraling out of control. Trump never would allow this to happen. But Biden, he's getting so outfoxed, so outmaneuvered by Vladimir Putin. And um, literally, prices are 60% higher than they were this time last year. And you ask, well, how are these EU countries buying oil from Russia? Because they're able to get around the sanctions. The sanctions were designed in a way because the Europeans are so reliant on Russia for oil, the, um, the sanctions were structured so that the EU could keep buying tons of oil from Russia, they're trying to phase it out. But it might take a very long time to phase out. But meanwhile, Russia's, Russia's getting richer than ever. And uh, as I said, all these Western countries that are supposed to be punishing Russia, they're, you know, the laugh is on, is on them and on us. And uh, I don't know why this is not getting more attention. 
but you know we do know why because everybody's so focused on January 6th things that are really important but this this is a very 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 important story and tells you a lot about you know who the real winners and losers are that's going to do it for today and we will see you next time